Hey everybody, welcome back to Calvary Tabernacle Podcast. So glad you could join us today for our fifth episode of our podcast. Thank you to all of our subscribers and our listeners who have been patiently waiting for this episode to come out. Thankful for what God is doing at Calvary Tabernacle. This episode is a very peculiar episode, very peculiar message entitled, Can God Trust Us? The title in itself is not peculiar, but the message and the context, you'll find it very revelatory and a bit mind-boggling. Something in Scripture that I personally have never seen before or really researched before, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Can God trust us? And we are going to go tonight uh, to what I feel like uh, the Spirit of God has laid upon my heart for this night. And we're going to look at a very small book, a uh, very small book, but I feel like it has a very powerful meaning. And that is the book of Philemon or Philemon or Philemon, however you'd like to say it, uh, it's up to you, but uh, amen. Uh, somebody said, well, that's not how it's pronounced. I said, how do you know? Uh, you don't know how it was pronounced. You weren't around when they said it. And so, uh, it, you know, it could be Philemon and all we know. But uh, uh, at any rate, we're going we're gonna to go there and uh, ask God to help us tonight. Uh, I truly believe that uh, what I am going to talk about and, and, and speak on just a, a minute is, um, is this short little book. And um, I feel like there's, there's something that God wants us to understand. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you tonight, my title is, Can God Trust Us? Uh, can God truly trust us? And, and don't, don't jump ahead of me tonight. Uh, this probably is going to go a little different um, than, than what you're thinking, but... Um, I feel like that, that I want to talk just a little bit. And we're going to read um, some verses here. And, and I want you to see verse number 8. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, for verse 4. Let's, let's back up a little bit. And it says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is you, which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now this is interesting. And look at verse 1 now. I read that. Because I want you to see it, verse 1. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, or Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. All right? So you now get the context of who verse 4 through 7 was praying for. All right? He's actually praying... Uh, for Philemon. Okay? Then he says in verse 8, 
Wherefore, though, I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech ye, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind, without thy mind would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Wow. Not now as a servant, but above a servant. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, howbeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Amen. I want to talk um, on this subject, and that is, can God trust us? Let's ask for God's help tonight. God, I love you. I ask for you to minister tonight in the name of Jesus. God, that you would have your way according to your word tonight, that the Spirit of God would move and minister in the name of Jesus. God, that you would have, Lord, just sovereignty in this house right now. Let the clarity of your word in the name of Jesus minister according to the will of God. In Jesus' mighty name, and somebody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Uh, let your neighbor know you're glad you're they're sitting beside you tonight. I mean that. Let them know you love them. Um, amen. This book, probably at first glance, doesn't seem too important. Matter of fact, it seems like it's just a book to Philemon about, uh, if you will, a man by the name of Onesimus. And it really is kind of taken off guard because unless you understand the context, you really uh, don't realize what all has happened. And this probably is one of those hidden treasures in our New Testament Bible. And it's something that we all struggle with as a New Testament church. All right. So Onesimus, if you will, is included in this letter and he is written to Philemon, who is literally the pastor of a first century, in other words, after the death, burial, and ascension of Jesus Christ, a house church. In other words, Philemon is the pastor of a house uh, church that Paul has started, uh, and Paul has put Philemon uh, uh, in this. And you need to understand something that 
the issue in this church and the issue in the first century uh, is different than how we view it today, all right? So the, the importance of this letter rests uh, on Philemon's response uh, to what God uh, is asking him to do concerning, if you will, the, uh, the, the, this man by the name of Onesimus. Now, who is Onesimus, all right? Now, this, this letter is, is talking about this guy, and it's important that you understand this because Philemon is a direct convert of the Apostle Paul. So Paul himself... and. I didn't jump names on you. I'm talking about two people, Onesimus, who I'm going to reveal in just a moment, and Philemon, who is the pastor of the local church, okay? And there is this idea of slavery that is mentioned in this book that we don't truly understand and, matter of fact, probably have no correlation to, to why Jesus, uh, to a certain degree, did not come to abolish slavery, if that makes sense. Now, I don't mean the modern-day term of slavery. I mean the biblical term of slavery. In other words, it was perfectly okay in the Old Testament if you owed a debt to someone that you worked that off. You became their slave until you paid, if you will, that debt. And then at 50 years, uh, if it was a year of Jubilee, uh, no matter how much you owed left, uh, you were set free. That was kind of an acceptable way of lifestyle. It was all right. So I'm not talking about the slaves that were brought over from other parts of the world and sold into slavery and things of that nature that we're used to that led to a civil war in the United States. That's not the kind of slavery that we're dealing with. So you got to understand this. If you were a slave in the Word of God, when it mentions the term slave you were a slave by one of two reasons all right in the old testament you were a slave either one because the army of god defeated you and now you became their service because you were understand a philistine an amalekite a teshbite or whoever that was outside the family of god and so it was hey i'm gonna make your enemies serve you you worship baal you worshipped Aphrodite, uh, you worshipped the goddess Diana, and so because you worshipped someone other than Jehovah, when Jehovah's army would defeat you, or even when another army would defeat Israel, they became their slaves. Example, when they were the slaves in Egypt. Everybody remember what I'm talking about? God didn't just rush down uh, and say, no, you can't do that. Understand? It, it, and so you would be a slave in that manner, or even in the New Testament, you would be a slave because you endeavored yourself okay in other words you had a debt uh, that you couldn't pay and so you had to work uh, that off and so you became in modern day terminology a slave uh, to work off that debt and this is an issue because it was when do you think when Jesus said if any man smites thee on thy right cheek uh, turn also unto him uh, thy other cheek uh, uh, why did Jesus say that well the whole context of that verse uh, is talking about slavery uh, it, the whole context is, is in the New Testament in Jesus day uh, a way of correcting a slave uh, is that it was a totally fine uh, to give them a slap uh, across the face uh, and then 
to be a better slave. In other words, I want you to get this. Uh, this is what Jesus taught. It'll blow your mind. I know we don't like it. Uh, but Jesus said, listen, if your master corrects you uh, and slaps you across the face, uh, don't be that slave uh, that fights him back uh, and gets thrown into prison uh, or maybe killed uh, or maybe something else. He said, let me help you. Turn the other cheek, uh, thus signifying to him, I'm truly sorry. I wasn't trying to disobey you. I wasn't trying to offend you. Thus you may save your life. Does that make sense? There was even a, a, a beautiful, if you will, if you want to look at it like that, there was times where a person that, that would build such a relationship with their slaves that when it got time that they had no more debt to pay that you could literally drive a stake in their ear. Alright, this is a, a whole new concept but you would drive a stake in their ear in the doorpost of your home and what they would say in other words you'd go to your slave and you say hey you've paid your debt you're free to go the, the, the slave would offer his earlobe to you and you would go and drive a stake he would allow you drive a stake marking him and what he's saying in this concept is you have been so good to me I would rather stay with you than go off on my own Alright, that, that's not a, 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 a crazy thing, that's, that's how it happened in Jesus' day. And so here we have the Apostle Paul, alright, he is, he is addressing this letter and he's writing to a pastor who pastoring a church in his home, a house church uh, at, by the name of Philemon. It's direct, addressly to him and you got to realize uh, Philemon is a convert of Saul. In other words, Paul won him to the Lord, alright. So you got to realize he, he, he mentions his wife, which is a Philip. All right, Archippus, uh, which is actually Philemon's son. Philemon was a member of the church of Coloss, uh, and his home was part of the group of house churches uh, in the Coloss area where Brother Charles and Sister Debbie and Brother Jonathan, we all kind of walked that area, and, and, and we've been there. All right, this was all. Now, Philemon's house was sizable enough to host the church and that he was able to keep at least uh, understand the whole church in his house if so needed, Indic that Philemon was a man of wealth and influence uh, within the community. Philemon, uh, if you will, was a businessman who travels uh, uh, which caused him to encounter Paul which led to his conversion, uh, alright? So this is not, but here's where you miss it. It's where most apostolics miss it. When they read this, uh, they read it as a letter of encouragement to Philemon, uh, his convert. This is not a letter to encourage Philemon. You need to get that in your mind. Take that out of your way because that is how everybody preaches this letter. Oh, what's the purpose of Philemon? Oh, it's just Paul trying to show us that we can be encouraged. It's just God allowed. No, this is not what this letter is about. It is more than that. It is, I understand, Paul wrote a specific letter of appeal regarding this man named Onesimus, all right? Who is Onesimus? So stay with me. I'm not talking about Philemon. Philemon's the pastor. Philemon is the wealthy man. Philemon is the man that Paul converted. Philemon if you will is the man that Paul allowed to take his stead and pastor the church at Colossa and the area and say I'm going to let you do this. But Onesimus is Philemon's slave. So the pastor has a slave by the name of Philemon. It's like me. I've got one by the name of Andrew. Andrew. 
One of the maddest I made my pastor one time is I had youth pastor on my door and I, I was just feeling stupid that day. And so I, I, I took and put a paper on the door and I wrote over youth pastor, I put slave. He didn't think that was funny. Called me in the office. The secretary literally came knocking on the door because he was yelling at me so loud that she wanted to make sure I was okay, <laughs> that everything was all right uh, in the pastor's office. And he gave me the what for. I gladly took it down, and 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 that we we never let that happen again. And so uh, I, I learned a little bit. But this is, uh, and that is a true story. But uh, th- this is. This is Philemon's slave, Onesimus, and more importantly, he is Philemon's runaway slave. Okay? This, 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 is, this is where it gets real tricky, alright? The letter is personal to Philemon, but it shows us as a church the expectation that God has on us as Christians. The expectation that we as a church are expected to live by. Stay with me for just a moment. All right? So it's personal. It talks about the church. It talks about uh, Philemon. But it is regarding this man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus is older now. And Paul is aging, this letter describes. And he realizes that Philemon has a problem. Now let me explain. Onesimus, the runaway slave, didn't just run away. One night, as the church received the offering, he gave it to Onesimus and said, place this so that we can Deliver this to those in need. That night, Onesimus, Philemon's slave, gathered the coffers and decided it's had enough in the money changers to live a pretty good life for a slave. And so Onesimus took all the church in Philemon's house money, not just the offering for that night, but the offering that had been being taken up night after night and day after day, all right, so that it can be distributed to help flame the gospel or fuel the gospel around the world. And Philemon realizes, hey, the coffers are almost full. He grabs the money and runs with the money. Now get this, somewhere in his journey, we don't know where, He crossed uh, this apostle by the name of Paul. Maybe Paul, if you will, began uh, to recognize Onesimus. Hey, you're Philemon's slave. Uh, What are you doing here? And so somewhere in the courts of, of their relationship, Philemon prays through. Philemon 
gets baptized in Jesus' name. Philemon is left to pastor the church. And now the slave runs away. Because though Philemon was prayed through and Philemon was a Christian, his slave was not. And Onesimus, after acting like he was part of the church, after dressing like he was part of the church, after coming to the house church and sitting in on the sermons and clapping his hands and shouting amen and and maybe according to history and, and later in Paul's letter, he showed some signs of conversion. In other words, he got baptized in Jesus' name. He spoke in tongues. He shouted when it was song service. He danced when it was time to dance. He shook the hands of the parishioners when they would come around and say, Onesimus, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, Brother Philemon. How are you doing, Onesimus? I'm doing fine, Sister Aphia. Everything's going good. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And somewhere in the midst of that uh, he was awaiting for his chance uh, for the coffers to get full uh, for the money bags to be to the top uh, and when he found out tonight's the night uh, he took all the money uh, and ran for his life uh, and Philemon is left uh, with nothing uh, but what happened uh, he spoke in tongues like we spoke in tongues uh, he was baptized how we were baptized uh, he supposedly repented of his sins uh, the way we repented of our sins uh, on Onesimus, you sorry, dirty, no good for nothing. Don't ever come back here again. And somewhere after the runaway, the church goes on. Philemon keeps pastoring. Onesimus, however, crosses paths with this missionary of missionary named Apostle Paul. And Paul, something happens. He recognizes you're that slave that was at Philemon's house. And, and somewhere the relationship strikes. And Onesimus begins uh, maybe down on his luck. Uh, the world has had its way by now. Maybe like the prodigal, he has spent uh, all the coffers' money. He has spent, uh, if you will, all that he had. And now he needs God again. Uh, but he only knows uh, this is the issue. I can't go back to Philemon. Uh, he will kill me. Uh, I stole everything. Uh, I can't go back to that church. Uh, they'll never love me. Uh, I can't go back to that church. Uh, they'll never accept me. Uh, something is wrong and Paul if you will takes Onesimus under his wings he teaches him perhaps what he missed under Philemon he helps him to see the error of his ways and to the point that the Bible says that Paul declared of Onesimus he is profitable to me and to you in other words he looks and says I know if I can just paraphrase a minute those few verses that we read this is, this is what he's saying he says I, I beseech you uh, for, for, my, for my son Onesimus uh, whom I have begotten uh, in my bounds uh, in other words hey uh, he's now a son uh, unto me he says which uh, in times past uh, to thee uh, was unprofitable in other words I know Philemon uh, he was no good to you uh, I know Philemon uh, he was nothing uh, to you he, he didn't profit you any he stole from you he lied to you he hurt you he broke your heart he was unprofitable he says but now he is profitable to thee and to me and so this whole book is to deal with this idea that how is the church to handle backsliders that want to come back home 
How is the church able or supposed to deal with somebody that done us wrong? It's somebody that lied to us. It's somebody that stole from us. I'm not talking about those that were just scoundrels from the beginning. I'm talking about those that received the Holy Ghost supposedly. Anybody ever have somebody do you wrong and they were supposed to be a Christian? Anybody ever had somebody not treat you right and you thought they were better than that and then they come back and let's face it, much like Philemon, we don't have Paul writing us letters and we look and say, I ain't got nothing for the guy. I know you may think he prayed through, Pastor. I know you may think good about him. Oh, I don't care how much you let him sing. I don't want to look at him. I don't care how much you let him talk. I don't care how much you believe in him. I don't want nothing to do with the sucker because he stole from me. He lied to me. He stabbed me in the back. And this is the letter of Philemon. Paul is writing and he's saying, Wait a minute, Philemon. I need you to get something. I'm asking you. This is my son in the gospel and I need you to receive him like you would receive me what would happen he says whom I have sent you again thou therefore receive him that is my own bowels. Uh, he does the words is saying this is my heartbeat. Uh, this is, is what I am trying to tell you. Uh, I need you to take him back. Why? Because I'm about to die Philemon and this needs to be fixed. Uh, I know he did you wrong. Uh, what? And this is my question tonight. Uh, could it be uh, that the revival we're waiting on uh, is not the one God wants to send uh, but the one God can trust us with. Uh, maybe the revival that we're waiting on uh, is God waiting on us uh, to get to a place uh, that says can I trust you? I don't know what it is about churches, but when we pray about backsliders and we pray about the loss, we act like God is going to send them from New York or Canada somewhere and people that we've never met. But that's not how it works. When God gets ready to send backsliders, He's going to send that person that you divorced and did you wrong. He's going to send that person that stabs you in the back and lives right across the street. He's going to send... Oh, See, we got to... It is immaturity that says, I'm not playing with them no more. I'm not worshiping. Oh, you want to talk about growing up? Let me help you. What would happen if God sent your arch enemy to sit right on the pew and God is saying, no, I want you to receive him. I know he stabbed you in the back. Receiving anyway. Oh, I want you to help him. I know he done you wrong. That's why I'm sending him back to you. Oh, could you please hear me? He could have sent Onesimus anywhere. He could have sent those churches wasn't far apart uh, he could have said hey go to Galatia huh? don't worry about Coloss uh, because Philemon's never going to know instead uh, that great apostle you want to talk about mentorship uh, he's aging uh, he's old uh, he pulls Philemon aside uh, and says Philemon uh, let me help you with something uh, that you've been struggling with a while uh, I know Onesimus done you wrong uh, but something's changed in him now uh, he's converted now uh, and you've got to receive him uh, as a converted son in the gospel you have got to receive him like a brother in Christ and this whole prayer is God help Philemon understand that Onesimus is a new man could you imagine 
what would happen to the church. I'm not talking about being stupid. I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm talking about loving people no matter how many times. Understand that they've fallen. I'm talking about loving people even those that done us wrong. It's easy to love somebody when they've done somebody else wrong. It's easy to forgive somebody when they did somebody else wrong. But what about when they've done you wrong? I was once in a church and don't mind telling you a good friend. I've shared it a couple times but in different settings but a good friend of mine who I had the privilege of being the assistant pastor to but also being a good friend. I'll never forget the day I was over leadership and he come in and he said I can't do this and I didn't know what he was talking about initially and I said what's going on? He said you need to tell my ex-wife to leave here. His ex-wife, now this man sat on the front of a sanctuary that would seat about 300 and he sat on the front row and his wife would come in on Sunday mornings, his ex-wife rather, would come in on Sunday morning and sit as far away from him as she possibly could. And she had a new boy husband now, new boyfriend, whatever he was at the time, thinking a new husband. And she had a new husband trying to get on with her life. But God began to draw her back. And she had come in and she looked at me and she said, is there any way? I, I don't know of a better church than this one. I don't know of a better place I'd rather be. This is where I got the Holy Ghost. Uh, this is where I prayed through for the first time. Is there any way I know that, that my buddy, my, my buddy, I know that your buddy comes here. I know, uh, and, and ironically, my buddy's name was Paul and, and he says uh, she said I know Paul comes here but 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 is there any way that 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 I could come here too and I said listen as long as you don't cause problems uh, as long as it ain't upsetting nothing as long as you're not purposely trying to you know vindicate him or do something crazy I don't mind if she said I'll sit in the back uh, I just want to be home uh, I just want to feel like I'm home and my husband uh, new husband uh, he doesn't know anything about this uh, he just wants to come to church he, 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 we feel like we need a fresh start and I just hope we can do it here because this has always been my church. I'll never forget that Sunday morning when Paul walked into my office and said, you're going to have to tell them to go. And I said, no, what did they do? Did they, did they, I don't care what, they didn't do nothing. But I don't want them here. Now we're talking about 400 feet apart. She's just on the back lifting her hands, uh, just wanting to be a part of the church. She's over him. He's over her, supposedly. They just want, yeah, that woman hurt me. Uh, that woman cheated on me. Uh, that woman ran off with me. Uh, another man on me. Uh, I, I want her out of this church. And I said, oh, hey, they talked to me. And God, wanting a, they're wanting a fresh start. They, this is just her home. This is where she, this is my home. They can't come in here. I said, Bubba, you're going to have to grow past this. Now, if they do something wrong, I'll be the first to tell them to leave. Uh, if they mess up, I'll be the first to say they got to go. Uh, but show me. I don't. I ain't done nothing but they just bother me I said how do they bother you on the front row uh, and they're way in the back uh, the wife the ex-wife said I don't even have to shake his hand I don't have to walk by him I'll stay in the back I just want a chance uh, to get a fresh start uh, and I said they're just here to try to put their life back together because believe it or not uh, it hadn't been a bed of rose petals for her her life has fallen apart uh, it didn't work out like she thought and now she's at rock bottom and she just wants to nope get them out of here or it's either them or it's me and that was the ultimatum I was given as the administrative pastor
Either get them out or I'm leaving. And I wonder where the maturity is. Uh, this is what Paul's trying to get to a pastor in, uh, named Philemon. He says, listen, uh, you're a pastor. Uh, and I know he'd done you wrong. Uh, I know it wasn't right. Uh, but I've got to convince you that Onesimus uh, has changed. Uh, and now I'm dying. Uh, I'm at the last end of my rope. Uh, and who's going to care for Onesimus uh, if I can't trust you? And this is the whole concept of Paul's letter to Philemon. Is Philemon, can I trust uh, that when Onesimus gets to you, everything's going to be okay that you're going to care for his soul that you're going to be a pastor to him that you're going to love him even though he messed up could that be our greatest challenge in 2019 as I'm not being mean, but I'm not expecting a harvest to come from the people from Chicago. I'm not expecting God to cause a north wind to blow and 50,000 Canadians come down and say, we want to go to church at Calvary. Understand, I'm not asking God to bring a revival from Europe. I'm asking God to bring revival of lost souls and backsliders. And can I tell you, when God does it, some of those lost souls and some of those backsliders are going to be people that cheated on you. They're going to be people that done you wrong. There are going to be people that were once part of us but walked away from us. And at the same time, I'll never forget since I've been pastoring in Beaumont, Texas. It wasn't long after maybe three years, maybe two, two or three years after pastoring. I'll never forget it. A man walked into our church and said, I want to come back to church here. I'll never forget. I said, he, that's great. He didn't even backslide. He once was going to another. He prayed through at Calvary in Beaumont years ago and after he prayed through he was there about six eight months uh, and then he left and went to another church uh, I'll never forget when I was there about two years uh, he came back in on a Sunday morning uh, and he prayed and worshipped and it's just like he'd always been in church he wasn't a backslider in that sense he had just went somewhere else uh, and he come to me after service and he said look uh, I want to come here I want to come back home uh, I've not been happy where I'm at uh, and this is where I originally prayed through at this is where I got the Holy Ghost at I want to come back home I said I love I have you. Let's call your pastor and let's make this right, man. I called his pastor. His pastor said he has been miserable here ever since he got here. Just, yeah, let him go. If he thinks that'll help him, then let him go back home. That's fine. And so I, I let him come back home. I'll never forget a board member of my church at that time walked up to me and said, Pastor, I've got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, I don't want that man here. I said, what's his, what's, well, he ain't been here for the last 20 years, uh, and I have. Uh, I said, I understand that, but he wants to come back home. Uh, he says, I don't care. He left us 20 years ago, and I've stayed here, and I've helped keep this church together, and I've helped keep the lights on, and I've helped keep everything together, and that sucker left uh, and abandoned us uh, after about six months of getting the Holy Ghost, uh, and I don't want him here. I said, I'm sorry. I can't ask him to leave. Uh, I just okayed him to come. Uh, you going to have to pray through this. You're going to have to get past this. I beg of you, he changed. Yes, he's made mistakes. Yes, he may not have done it right. But come on, Philemon, can you grow up a little bit and say, I'm going to do what God's asking me to do. Two years later, the man's been doing great. The man's been in the church. The man's worshiping God. The man's helping I sat in the car in the parking lot of this man crying, and he says, I can't do it anymore. And I mean, two years. I said, so this makes 22 years that you've carried this. He says, I, I said, what can't you do? He said, I can no longer look at him worshiping God. It makes me sick. 
I can no longer stand him being in our church as like he's been here the whole time. I don't understand. And I said, well, don't you, haven't you ever read where Jesus went and hired some laborers at five in the morning? And he said, hey, I'm going to pay you one cent a day. I'm going to pay you one talent. And then he went back at 10 in the morning and said, I'm going to pay you one talent. And he went back at noon and said, I'm going to pay you one talent. Then he went back at three and said, I'm going to pay you one talent. And those that rose up and said, wait a minute, we've been here since five in the morning. How are they getting the same as us? And Jesus' response was, hey, you agreed for what you agreed for. I've not cheated you. I gave you what I told you, and I gave them the same agreement. Understand, have you not ever read that? He said, that's what he said. I don't care. I don't like it. And I seen a 40-year-old man act like a two-year-old because we would rather not grow up and hold on to how we believe instead of let the Spirit and the Word of God speak into our lives. And it's killing us when people walk in. Yeah, they've done us wrong. You're going to have to say, wait a minute, Helaman. I know he done you wrong. You imagine having to forgive the guy. that. that now, this is what's ironic. This is what is funny. The man that couldn't handle the offering. Now, Paul is sending a letter with an offering by the hands of, keep reading it, by the hand of Onesimus. And what he's trying to show Philemon is listen he is truly converted I, I know he messed up and I know that he said that before you know we, we said it how many times they gonna pray oh I've seen them pray through like that before oh I've seen them could it be that the revival that God is wanting to send is not gonna come from Chicago it's not gonna come from Europe it's not gonna come from Fort Lauderdale Florida but it's gonna come right here across the neighbor that you haven't liked it's gonna come right here by the man that done you wrong at the mechanic shop or the grocery store or the dry cleaners. It's going to come from that McDonald's employee that wouldn't give you extra fries when you paid for it. It's going to come from the person that did. Could it be that it's going to come from those that couldn't hang on when they should have held on? It's going to come from those that let go when you stayed here busting your hide to try to keep the doors open and they left and abandoned. It's all right. Can God trust us that when they walk through that door, we'll say, Welcome to Calvary. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're back. I, I, I know. This is a hard concept. See, we don't like this type because the truth is we're good at singing songs about being godly. We're good about acting godly. We're good about worshiping like we've got the Holy Ghost. We're good about singing like we've got the Holy Ghost. But the truth is we are not good about doing what God is actually asking us to do. See, it's hard when God asks you to do a hard thing. And this is what this whole small one chapter letter is. Philemon, would you grow up? You're a pastor. And I need you. He says, he says, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me. This is... The confidence that Paul says, he says, listen, Onesimus, uh, Philemon, I would have let Onesimus stay with me that he could keep ministering to me. But watch what he says. He says, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but of willingly. 
Hold on, he changes here. See, we don't understand the old English, so let me break it down just a little bit. He's saying, I could have stayed here. I could have sent him anywhere, and he could have ministered with me or to me or for me. He could have been in my stead. He says, but Philemon, I'm going to send him back to you. But not out, I'm not asking you to do this out of necessity. Get the attitude God wants us to have. I'm not asking you to do this because you have to. I mean, you do have to or you're going to go to hell. I know, boy, whoo, pastor, you mentioned hell. Yeah, Jesus said, love your enemies. Anybody can love their friends. Anybody want to grow a little bit tonight? Love those that despitefully use you. Anybody can love those that buy you lunch. Love those that lied on you and cheated on you and stabbed you in the back and walked away from you in your greatest time of need. Anybody can love those that buy them gifts and do everything. You know, it's not hard to love somebody that totally supports and lines up and, you know, does what you're asking them to do. He says, but don't do it because of that. Watch what he said. This is, I want you to get the picture because I'm almost done. This is an old man. Paul is old at this time. And there's been times in my life for the first time, I went to a conference last week, y'all know that, and they asked for all those 40 and under to stand. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I didn't know what that felt like. I, I, and then they said, and now all of you that are 60 and older stand. And I didn't fit in that category either. And so I realized I'm in a weird place. I'm not an old man. But I'm not a young man by the world's standards either. And I didn't have a, they never asked for those 41 and plus to, you know, I just was left out. <laughs> just didn't fit. And when I was a 28-year-old pastor, this may not have counted so much. But now I find myself doing what Paul's doing to Philemon, and this, this is what he's doing. Hey. Come here, Brother Philemon. Hey, buddy. Listen, it's, you, you, I'm not asking you to do this. This is what he's doing. I, I'm not asking you to do this because you have to. Not out of necessity, Philemon. I, I, I know you're still young and you had not got where I'm at yet. And you don't really see this the way I'm seeing it. But, hey, trust me on this one. I know you don't like it. I know you don't agree with it. And it isn't what you wanted to do, but... Watch what he says. He says, not out of necessity, but willingly. See, if you read it too fast, you'll miss it. In other words, he said, no, 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 no. Don't do it because you have to. Because that's not real love. I want you to want to do it. I want you to be the kind of pastor and the kind of church uh, that when the slave uh, that stole all your money from the vision fund uh, walks back through the door and says, I'm sorry, uh, you can say it's okay. You're still welcome here. Ooh. 
I saw the brick as it just, I was, I was doing good. <laughs> doing good. But see, each of us live in this town, this small town. And we, we cross paths with people that didn't pay us what they should have paid us. They didn't pay us when they should have paid us. What are you going to do when they walk through the door and they want to get baptized and they want to pray through and they want to go to church and they want to start over? You're going to grow a little bit and say, I'm willingly so glad you're here. He says, for perhaps he therefore departed. Watch, watch the beautifulness of this. He said, perhaps he left you for a season that you should receive him now forever. Anybody have somebody backslide that hurts you so bad that you almost can't stand it? That you have no confidence in them anymore? I remember I was in Dallas. And there's a church in a little town outside of Dallas called Forney, Texas. And this little church was gathering in a storefront. And the entire church was made up of four elderly ladies. And a guy came through and they voted him in. He became pastor for one solitary reason. Those four ladies over the last several years, I forget how many exactly, had saved up 70-something thousand dollars to build them their own church building. This guy got voted in as pastor and two weeks later left and resigned and took $74,000 with him. You don't think those four ladies were upset. So they began the process of how do we deal with this? How do we get our money back? How do we do this? How do we... And long story short, they found this guy in California living well on their $74,000. But I happened to just go out there one night. They needed a preacher. I was 20 minutes down the road, wasn't because I was the best. They just needed someone close to preach a service until they found the next pastor. But now that little church of four people didn't look near as enticing without $74,000 in the bank. You know, y'all understand that, right? No building, no people. And no money. Not everybody was saying, I want that church. <laughs> and so they had trouble finding preachers even because you're not going to get paid much. And so I was 20 minutes down the road in Dallas and they asked me to come. And here I am preaching on a Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock and in between our Sunday morning and Sunday night service. And I'm preaching. And guess who walks through the door? That pastor. 
He looks like he stepped out of Bomb magazine. His clothes are dirty. He looks raggedy. He hadn't shaved. He hasn't had a haircut. He's a man at rock bottom. And I'm preaching on healing. And I'm preaching on forgiveness. And I'm preaching on let it go. And trying to get him to a place where we can get past this. And he comes down the aisle of that little storefront building. And every one of those ladies, sweet, godly, Holy Ghost filled, Christian ladies, start murmuring underneath their breath. This sorry. No good for nothing. Don't even show your face in our town. And he falls right in front of me in the pulpit. And he begins to weep uncontrollably. Of course, the service is over. We begin to pray. And I didn't know this was the man at the time. I didn't understand this is what was going on. I'm just praying and letting him. And he begins to speak in tongues and start screaming, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And those four ladies sat there like statues. We don't care if you're sorry. He's weeping. He's bawling. He's obviously at rock bottom. And God was trying to see, can I trust y'all? We can't trust him. No, no, that's not the question. The question is, can God trust you? Afterwards, he falls at each of their feet after we start realizing what's going on. And he says, I won't leave here until I have put back every dime that I stole. And one little sister says, nope, we don't ever want to see you here again. And the other three, you know how it works. Uh -huh, that's right, that's right, that's right. We don't want to see you, you get out of here. And he said, I'll clean toilets. I'm not asking to preach, I'll vacuum. I'll paint. I'm going to get a job. I won't eat nothing until I pay back every dime that I took from you. And I would love to tell you that he convinced them. But they said, get out of here. We don't ever want to see you again. After several times attempts, that man left. It wasn't long until those four ladies were gone. And there was no church. He heard that they was dead. And there was no church in Forney, Texas now. And he had saved up right at 30000 And today, there's a great church in Forney. 
because Richard had changed. And he took his life investment and opened the doors of that church. And he'll tell you, I didn't want to offend them. But I've got to make this right. And now he's given the rest of his life to winning that town for the cause of Christ. But in my mind, I wonder what happened to those four ladies. Because God was wanting to know, can I trust you? See, when we say trust, I know every one of you, when I said my title, you thought, well, he's going to talk about money. God's not worried about if he can trust you with money near as much as he's worried about, can I trust you with one of my little ones? Can I trust you with who I died for? He didn't die for a $100 bill. He gave his life for Sam and John and Peter and Sally and Susie, the people that live right next door to your house, that don't wave at you when you pass by, that don't shake your hand when you walk in, that don't care. If you make it or not. And what he really wants to know tonight. Is can he trust this church. And I'm closing. With his children. Can we be the church. That no matter who God sends in that door. We will receive him. Watch what he says. He says. Not now as a servant. In other words. Don't bring him in. As a slave again. See what I'm saying? No, we don't treat him like he's a failure. He says, but above a servant, treat him like a brother who's beloved. Especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Because if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. And watch what he says. He knows. He says, if he wronged thee, put it on my account. And y'all know this is one of those few times you've heard me reference it. Later in life, Paul's eyes begin to dim. Most people believe this is what he asked God three times to fix. God, heal my eyes. I can't see. Heal my eyes. So most of the time, and God said, my gracious sufficient. And so most of the time we say Paul wrote these letters, but most of Paul's letters were dictated to a a scribe who would write what Paul was saying. But this letter is short. But watch the language. He says, I have written it with my own hand. This ain't coming from a scribe. This is important to me, Philemon. I'm sending him back to you. And it's so important that this is right. That you know this is for me. I could go on tonight. My friend by the name of Paul, he ended up leaving the church eventually. 
found him another place to worship because he couldn't handle his ex-wife worshiping God too. He later backslid because he got out of where he was planted. She kept living for God. Ended up her husband got the Holy Ghost, her new husband got baptized. Started working in the bus ministry. And now has literally brought hundreds of kids from the Dallas metro area to the house of God. And I just wonder, in all of our spirituality, Paul would sing in the choir. He'd preach in youth service. He's my buddy. He's part of the leadership team. He was outreach director. He'd wear the finest back rack suits and the finest ties and little pocket square to boot. Sat on the front row like every preacher's dream. But when God looked down and said, can I trust you with a girl I'm wanting to save? He couldn't handle it. When God looked down and said, can, I know you dress the part. I know you play the part. I know you hold the microphone just right. And you, you, you feel the call to ministry and you like to preach. And he was that young guy that would always come up, can I preach tonight? Can I preach tonight? Can I preach tonight? And, and I'd always say no because if you're asking for it, you really haven't realized the responsibility of it. He's always wanting to preach. But when God looked down, he said, can I trust you? I'm sure he laid on the carpet and said, God, save every backslider, but not my wife, my ex-wife. Because that's what he meant. God, save Winnie, but not that sorry scoundrel that cut me off the other day. God, save our schools. But not that young punk that egged my car. Leave him in hell. We don't say that, but that's really in our immaturity what we mean. Because in our mind, we think all these people are going to be brand new people that we've never met before. And God's just going to miraculously send them to our church. They're just going to come in from England and, hello, Bo. Just want to come to church with you today. And that's what we think. And God says, no, it's going to be that woman caught in adultery that you wanted to stone yesterday. That's who's coming in. No, it's going to be that drug addict or the drug lord that sold your child the drugs. That's going to be the one. Can I trust you with that one? That's who I'm wanting to save. That's who I'm sent. I mean, of all the churches he could have sent Onesimus to, Philemon's pastor. Now, Philemon is pastoring himself, but he's got a pastor by the name of Paul. And he says, his pastor, now by the name of the apostle Paul, says, Philemon, let him in. And, and he goes on, he says, I want you to, I trust he says, having confidence, get it? He says, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee 
Knowing, this is what he says to Philemon. Boy, can you feel the, the daddy in him? He says, knowing that you're going to do more than I say. So hold up. You, you want me to take him back, treat him like a brother who he's still supposed to be my slave, but love him like a brother and forgive what he's done. Welcome him in. And you really just said, but I know you'll even do more than that. What about us? Can God trust us when we've been done wrong? I know it's deep in here tonight. It's tight, but it's right. Can God trust us? Or is it just a show? Are we really growing? Or are we just learning to look the part? There's a difference. I went to church with a girl one time that would sleep around on Saturday night and look the most modest thing singing praise on Sunday morning because she learned how to dress the part. But she didn't learn how to grow. I've been to church with people that could lift their hands and play the drums and sing and preach and then cuss you out on Monday morning because they learned how to look the part. I've been to church with people that could tell you, I love you, and then talk about you behind your back because they learned how to look the part. But they never grew to become a Christian. What about us? I'm asking you tonight, are we just looking the part or are we showing this church or this city Jesus Christ? We all have our stories. We all have our war wounds. I'm asking you tonight, can God trust us? Amen. What a powerful sermon. What did I tell you? <laughs> Revelatory, challenging, very true. Just a small little story that we probably often overlook about Philemon and Omnesius. Powerful story that teaches us um, a traditional value, a traditional principle in our walk with God. But this story to me just even more emphasized the truth. That when someone wrongs me, and I mean really does wrong to me, I still am challenged with the choice to forgive them. I can either let it go or I can hang on to a grudge and let bitterness plant its seed in my life. Powerful, powerful message. I think each of us could examine our own lives and really see, is there anything that I'm harboring? Is there anything that I'm holding in my own life, am I holding against anyone else? And is there any bitterness? Is there any root of bitterness? Paul said, any root of bitterness will defile you. I kind of see it like this. Bitterness will reach out its branches and affect every part and portion of your life. So if there's any unforgiveness, I may have bitterness. If there's any grudges that I'm holding on to in my own life, then it could be that bitterness 
has grown in my life. In that same scripture, Paul would say that bitterness, anger, wrath, jealousy, all of these things, they come from a root of bitterness. What an amazing story. Never really heard it that way. Read the book of Philemon, but never seen it in that light. Just must have scanned over it like most of us do. And how many things do we miss when we just scan over the Word of God and not really looking at what God is trying to say? Amazing, amazing. Hopefully you are challenged by that message today, and it challenges you to change, challenges you to, to rethink your own life, and maybe next time you'll have a little more mercy, even when someone wrongs you. I think it's easy when we look at someone on the outside and we say, Oh, God bless their heart. I hope hope they can make these, these wrongs right. But when someone really wrongs us, can we make our wrongs right now? Because I know as humans, it's our human nature to justify the wrong. Justify why we're mad. Justify why we're not going to forgive. I know people who have not forgiven and they yet they still will not let go of bitterness and and unforgiveness and they will never succeed in living for God. Remember Jesus said that if you forgive your brother your father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive then your Father will not forgive you. If I need any reason or any principle to push me into forgiveness and to forgive someone that's wronged me, that's the simple principle right there. You know what? <laughs> I don't want you to wrong me. I don't want you to do bad to me. But if you do, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus was crucified by his own people, by people who were looking for the Messiah. And he says, I am he, but they did not believe. They would not believe that he was God in the flesh. And his own people crucified him, but yet Jesus had it in his power to say, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing to me. I believe that was part of the process. Do you think that they put that in Scripture just, just so we could have it, so we could say Jesus was an awesome guy, an awesome God? No, I think, they, I think God allowed that Scripture to be in the Word of God for one reason, to challenge us to forgive even when we are truly wronged by our brothers, by our sisters, to truly let go and say, God, I don't want to harbor unforgiveness or bitterness in my own life. If you can't tell, this message really just re-emphasized this principle. And the whole question that our pastor was asking, can God trust us? I'm hoping that God can trust us now. Amen. In Jesus' name, thank you for joining us in our fifth episode of our podcast. There's more content to come. We do have an episode coming up where we will interview our pastor, and we're definitely in the works and planning this out. 
and uh, we want to have a very a very good podcast with him sitting on the couch. He'll be doing most of the talking. But here's the thing that you can help us out with. If you have a question regarding ministry, uh, life, how to be a man of God, how to lead your home, uh, how to be a woman of God, or life in the church, leadership in general, growth, personal growth. I mean, it's, I'm giving you this broad spectrum because, tr- truthfully, our pastor is an amazing, dynamic, passionate man. And so... I want to uh, give you my email. It'll be in the description below, and you can send me those questions. This is Andrew Emerson with Calvary Tabernacle Podcast. I'll see you all next time. God bless.